Amen. Nuts and bolts today. How do we respond to temptation? James chapter 1. Once you look at this picture, it's a picture of an avalanche. I love snow-covered mountains, and if you see this picture, those are very dangerous, as you know. Experts say if you're going to have an avalanche like that, you need three things. You need snow, you need a slope, but you also need instability in that snowpack. And they say if you're going to be in the mountains in the wintertime, you need to pay attention to where you're at, and you need to pay attention to the surroundings around you, and to make sure that you're in a safe place, because those are very, very dangerous. As you look at that avalanche, you realize again that when that happens, if you happen to be on that mountain, uh, many people lose their lives every year because of avalanches. Experts go on to say that if you get caught in an avalanche, you have about 30 minutes uh, to survive. Most people who get caught in an avalanche die within 30 minutes, and they go on to say, what are the causes of death? It's suffocation. You just can't breathe. They talk also about the trauma of hitting trees or boulders as you're caught in that avalanche. And they also talk about you're being crushed because of large blocks of snow. And then they say again, if you're going to be in the mountainous area in the wintertime, pay attention to where you're at, pay attention to the surroundings around you. This morning as we think about James chapter 1, I'm not talking about an avalanche like that, I'm talking about a spiritual avalanche. What happens if you find yourself in a spiritual avalanche and everything seems to be crushing in around you? What do you do? What we realize in life, at many, many folks, when it comes to temptation, major issues in life oftentimes have small beginnings. And here's what I mean by that. It's, it's one look. It's one conversation. It's one day off spiritually. It's one drink. And you find yourself in this spiritual avalanche and you say, am I going to make it and survive? Small beginnings, major, major ramifications. Pastor friend of mine many, many years ago, an incredible pastor, incredible preacher, preached with the fire of God on his life. I like to work out. And so he would go to the gym and he would work out and and one day, again, there were other people at the gym, but there was one day he was there working out, and there was a lady that he had met, not his wife, but a lady he had met, and he saw her, and she saw him, and she said these words to him at the gym that day, and she said this, you look good. He didn't walk away. He didn't just say thank you and move on. He looked back at her, and he said these words to her, you look good too. After those words were exchanged, a major spiritual avalanche happened in his life, and you know the end of the story. Affected his marriage, his ministry, reputation, all those things. I just want to encourage you as we look at James chapter 1, that today you'll open your eyes and your ears and you'll take good notes today. Because I want you to be prepared. How can you handle temptation God's way? Every one of us are going to be tempted. In fact, temptation comes our way every single day. That we know about. Now, we don't know if Tom Brady is going to retire or not. We don't know that. Depends on who you listen to. But I promise you this. Temptation is going to come your way. 
And I don't want to see you in the midst of a spiritual avalanche. I want to see you handling temptation God's way. It'll protect your life, your marriage, your family, this church, your witness, your character, your reputation. As we look at James 1, we, we, under, we know this, that many people in life, um, they blame other people for a lot of things in life. And even many people will blame temptation on God to say, well, God opened the door or he allowed that to happen. And James is going to say here in James chapter 1 when he says in the beginning, look, no one's saved. James writing to a group of believers, but also to you and me, that is an imperative in God's word. And it just means let no one say, you, me, let no one say that when I'm tempted, it's of God because it's not of him. That's what he says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. But as we know, back as early as the Garden of Eden, the blame game started. So uh, there was blame going on then, and we're still good at today blaming what happens to us in life on other people. For example, we find ourselves in a spiritual avalanche. Everything's crushing in around us. We, we don't like to take responsibility for that, so we blame somebody else. We say, well, it's, it's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. It's the way they raised me. The devil made me do this. I didn't know it was wrong. Everyone else around me seems to be doing this. It's only one time. What is it really going to hurt and really going to matter? So we blame other people. And as I were living in a place one time, we had a broken water pipe because of freezing temperatures. And we had a home warranty on our place, and so I called the place, and I said, I want to see if this is covered under the home warranty. I probably knew it was not going to be, but when I called and talked to the person on the other end, I said, got a broken water pipe, freezing temperatures. Is it covered under our home warranty policy? And she said, well, unfortunately, that's not covered. And I said, well, can you give me any, any insights why it's not covered? I'd just like to know. And then here's what the lady said. She says, your home warranty policy, we don't cover acts of God. And so I just paused for a moment, kind of gathered myself, and I said, well, hey, I didn't think it was going to be covered anyway. But here's, I, can I just say something to you? And she says, sure. And I said, God gets blamed for a lot of things in life. Let's don't blame him for our broken water pipe today. Hey, we're going to pay for it, but let's don't blame God for that. That lady had no idea what to say to me after that. But he gets blamed for a lot of things. And James is just saying here, let no one say it's an imperative. You can't say this, that when you're tempted, that you say God's doing this because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, I want you to look at your outline because I want to walk through this with you this morning. And number one, expect periods of temptation. James goes on to say, let no one, when he is tempted, say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. Let no one say, notice the word when. James didn't say if you're tempted, but when you're tempted. So temptation is going to come to your life and to my life. So it's not if, it's a matter of when. Let no one say when he is tempted. What does it mean to be tempted? What are you going to be tempted to do? You're going to be tempted to lie. You're going to be tempted to steal. You're going to be tempted to cheat. You're going to be tempted to speak when you should be silent. You're going to be tempted to be silent when you should speak. You're going to be tempted to have a critical spirit in life. And you're going to be tempted to tear people down when you should be building people up. You're going to be tempted to even live an immoral life. Temptation is going to come your way. It's not if it comes, when it comes. 
And James is saying, I want to make sure you know how to handle, as a child, as a student, as an adult, I want to make sure you know how to handle temptation God's way. I don't ever want to be dishonest in life. I was leading a mission team. I'd done a mission vision trip to this place, so I knew kind of what we were doing. I was bringing a group of people back into this particular country. The missionary I was serving with said these words, when your group comes back, because it's going to be a large group, you're going to go to the customs agent, and the customs agent is going to ask you a series of questions. And he said, I'm going to give you the answers. That way, when you get there, you're not going to have any problems. So he said, when you get to the customs agent, he or she is going to ask you, where are you going? And you tell them you're going to Cochrane. So I've got that. I can do that. And then they're going to say, what are you going to do in Cochrane? And you tell them you're going to a convention. I said, I can do that as well. And then they're going to ask you, what is the convention about? And you say the convention is about partnerships. And you're going to be fine. I said, I've got that. Going to Cochrane, attending a convention, the convention is about partnerships. We land in this city. We get off the airplane, we get our luggage, we make our way down to the customs area. We get there, we st- we're standing before a gentleman that the cu- is a customs agent. I give him my passport, he looks at it, and he says these words, where are you going? And I thought, that missionary knew what he was talking about. I said, we're going to Cochrane. He said, okay, what are you going to do in Cochrane? I said, well, we're going there to a convention. And I said, that guy's really smart. He knows exactly what he was doing. And so we're going there to a convention. And then he said this, what is the convention about? I said, the convention is about partnerships. And I thought I answered all those three questions. And then the customs guy said, what kind of partnership is it? And I thought, oh, no, he didn't tell me how to answer that. He didn't give me the fourth question. And so I didn't want to be dishonest. And so I said to the guy, I said, well, we are going to Cochrane. We are going to be a part of a convention. It is about partnerships. And the partnership is about fishing. And the custom agent looked at me and he said, fishing? I said, yes, yeah, fishing. He said, do you realize in Cochrane there's not a single lake there? <laughs> I said, sir, I didn't know that. He said, what are you going to Cochrane for? And I said, we're going there to fish. But I said, sir, we're going there because we're fishers of men. I wasn't going to be dishonest. But let me just say, he was not amused by my biblical humor at all. In fact, it ticked him off. He didn't like it. Lord willing, we got in there and we did what we were known to do. But I, but I was not going to be dishonest to him. I was going to be honest and I was honest with him. But you're going to be tempted in many ways. I want you to write down these two statements here. Number one, God cannot be tempted with evil. And so I love today for you to write down literally what the Word of God says that's coming straight out of the book of James. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Now write down the second statement, God himself tempts no one. So when you look at this, you say again, God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. You're literally writing down what God's word says. Now as you look at this, why do we say that temptation is not of God? Let me give you this insight. When you expect periods of temptation in your life, you can say it's not of God because temptation is about destruction. It's about deception. And so the enemy is going to tempt you and me because he wants to deceive you or he wants to destroy your life. The enemy will do anything he can to destroy your life, your witness, your marriage, your family, this church. He would love nothing more than to do those things. 
And so we know today that temptation is not from God because God does not want to destroy your life. He does not want to destroy your witness. He does not want to destroy your marriage, your family, or destroy this church. In fact, God wants to build us up. He wants your life to be strong. He wants your witness to be effective. He wants your marriage to be solid. He wants your family to be intimate. He wants this church to be healthy, doing all that he wants us to do. So temptation is not of God. Why? Because temptation is about destruction. God is about building you and me up to use us. And so I just challenge you today as, as, a, as a child, as a student, as an adult, don't wait for temptation to show up at your door before you get prepared. Prepare now because you need to expect periods of temptation in your life. They're going to come. Look at number two, expose the pain of tolerance. As we look at this text, James goes on to say, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But then he says this in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Those two words, lured and enticed, are fishing and hunting terms. And so we know we have some people here, those who are watching, you know what it's like to fish or hunt. So when you go fishing, you've got, you've got a hook and you've got bait on it. And so you put it out there. You're waiting for a fish to latch onto that bait and that hook so that you get that fish. The enemy is doing everything he can. There's a hook out there dangling. It's got some kind of bait on it and he wants to hook your life. You know something about being enticed as a hunter, you want to you kill animals. And so you do that with a rifle, gun, whatever it may be, or you have traps in some way, cages, and you want to do what? You want to get an animal. So you entice this animal to come your way so that you can take your prey down. The enemy is doing everything he can to lure you and entice you because please understand again, he wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your witness, your marriage, your family, this church. That's his goal. Now I want to give you a word of warning. I encourage you to write this down because as you think about what James is teaching you, I want to give you this word of warning. Every single one of us in this room and those who are watching, and here's a word of warning. Do not ever say, I would never commit that sin. Don't ever say that. Because why? The enemy is going to tempt you. He's trying to lure you, entice you. Don't ever say you would never commit that sin. Because when you read God's word, you're going to see individuals, you're going to see couples, you're going to see families, you're going to see churches, even nations that flirted with temptation and tolerated sin and it caused them to collapse and crash in life. Let me give you two biblical illustrations that I give you more, but I'll only give you two. One is the life of David. David, a man after God's own heart. God chose him to be king because God saw what was on the inside, not simply his external appearance. And God chose him to be king. But David one day was at the wrong place at the wrong time, saw a beautiful woman, inquired of her, did not stop there, did not walk away, ended up and had an inappropriate relationship with her and then committed murder to cover it up. David, a man after God's own heart, did that. I just encourage you to be wise. Never say, I would never commit that sin. Let me give you another example from God's Word. Matthew chapter 26, it's the life of Peter. Uh, Peter was selected to be a follower of Christ. 
around the Sea of Galilee one day, a fisherman. The Lord Jesus was working in his life. He was a part of Jesus in a circle. So he was very close and intimate with the Lord Jesus. One day Jesus in Matthew 26 was having a conversation with his followers and he said this, all of you are going to fall away on account of me. And what did Peter speak up and say? Jesus, they all may fall away, but I will never fall away from you. And then if that wasn't enough, Peter went on to say just a few moments later, he said, Lord, if it means that I have to die with you, I will never deny you in my life. It's Peter. What did Jesus say to him? Jesus said to him, Peter, you don't really know what you're saying because you're going to deny me here soon. Sitting around a campfire, there was a servant person there said something to Peter. Another servant person said something to Peter. Bystanders said something to Peter. And what did Peter say? I don't even know him. I don't even know what you're talking. I don't know him. Never, don't, don't know him at all. And then Jesus looked at him. They made eye contact. And the Bible says Peter wept bitterly. Why? Because he fell away and he even denied that he knew Christ. I just want to encourage you. Don't ever say you would never commit that sin. As you and I look at this, I want to give you these statements here. Number one, desire leads to action. He says in this passage, you're lured and enticed by his own desire. Desires what? Immorality, gambling, the list goes on and on of just desires. You can have godly desires or you can have ungodly desires. Desires lead to action. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Those are godly desires. But there are also ungodly desires out there as well that you and I deal with that the enemy is going to tempt you and me on. But, but desire leads to action. So whatever the desire may be, something that's ungodly leads to action. Second statement, action produces certain consequences. When you look at it, he says, the desire when it is has conceived, gives birth to sin, leads to consequences, sin. This is this is pregnancy language that James is using. So when you think about action produces certain consequences, but but I want you to lean in. Pay attention to this because the enemy does not want you to focus on the consequences of your decisions. He wants you to focus on the pleasure of the moment. That's how he's going to tempt you. Desires lead to action. Actions produce certain consequences. He does not want you to focus on what's going to happen if you do this. He wants you to focus on the pleasure of the moment. Jacob and Esau in the book of Genesis, same thing. Esau starving to death. Jacob had this bowl of stew and Esau wanted a part of it. And so what did he do? He gave up his birthright to have a bowl of stew. Here's what happened in Esau's life. He sacrificed his future for the pleasure of the moment. The enemy is trying to do the same thing in your life and my life. He wants you to sacrifice your future for the pleasure of the moment. And so I just encourage you, be careful with the enemy. Be careful with temptation. Why? Because he does not want you to focus on the consequences. Just, just look at the pleasure. Don't focus on the consequences. But if you're going to respond to temptation God's way, focus on the consequences. If you do this, what is it going to do to your life? your witness, your character, integrity, your marriage, your family, this church. What happens if you do that? And then the third statement, the result of sin is death. 
He goes on to say, then desire, when it is conceived, give birth to, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Folks, I could tell you story after story today of individuals who did not handle temptation God's way, and it cost them their physical lives. I could share story after story with you. Temptation came to a person's life. He or she did not handle it God's way, cost them their marriage. Temptation came to a person's life, did not handle it God's way, cost them the the, the health of their family. Temptation even came to a church congregation like ours, did not handle it well, cost them what? Cost them dearly the intimacy and the health of that local congregation. I could share many relationships with you that have died. I could share how trust and respect and loyalty have been lost. Why? Because did not handle temptation God's way. The result of sin, disobedience to God, is death. That's what God's Word says. I just encourage you, don't tolerate sin. Don't tolerate even temptation. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you sin. Jesus was tempted, as we're going to see. But listen, make sure you handle temptation God's way in life. It is wise. Number three, embrace the person of truth. So we look at this text. He goes on to say in verse 16, do not be deceived. Why? Because the enemy wants to deceive you. He wants to mislead you. He wants to wreck your life. He wants to destroy your marriage, your family. He wants to ruin this church. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And then he goes on to say this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Can you say amen this, that Almighty God is good to you and me? He's good to you and me. Listen, he's so good to you and me. He's so good to you and me. It's beyond comprehension how good he's been to you and me. You and I wouldn't even be saved today if he didn't pursue you and me in life. And so God is good to you and me, and that's what he's saying. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Listen, God, when you have a meal here in a few moments, that came from God because he's good to you. When you got up this morning and you were able to open your eyes, you could see and you could hear and your body was working and you are able to be here, it's the goodness of God in your life. God's good to you and me. You're here this morning and you could take a piece of bread and a cup of juice because you're saved and you know the Lord Jesus Christ. He's good to you and me because of his amazing grace in our lives. God's good to you and me. And then he goes on to talk about him being the father of lights. Now you have to realize the enemy is what? Darkness. I just read a story the other day from Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife. You remember back a number of months ago how all this drama came out and they were talking about this relationship, an inappropriate relationship with another guy, a pool boy. And they talked about as that relationship was going on and all of them knew about it, they were living in secrecy. They were living in fear because when is this story going to become known? They were living in darkness, you might say. God is not darkness. He is light. He wants you to live in openness. He wants you to live in joy and freedom. God is not someone who wants you to live in secrecy. He wants you to live in light. Again, being faithful to him in life. But you look at it and you say, well, how can I handle temptation God's way? I want want you to write down these four statements here. Number one, a personal relationship with Jesus. 
If you're going to handle temptation God's way, you need a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you because you can't handle temptation on your own. You need a personal relationship with Christ. That's why I appeal to you again in the room and those who are watching, if you don't know Jesus Christ, do not procrastinate, do not delay, don't put it off to another month. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. Turn from your sin. Put your trust in Christ. He's the one who died on Calvary's cross and gave his life for you. The tomb is empty today. Jesus Christ is alive. He is saving boys and girls and men and women. He will save you today. But if you're going to handle temptation God's way, you need a personal relationship with Jesus. Number two, you need a deep knowledge of God's word. If you're going to handle temptation God's way as a, as a kid, as a student, as an adult, you need to know the Word of God. Now, please, under, you know this, but I want to remind you, you and I are not Jesus. We do have a Savior. We have a Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. One day he's coming again. You and I are not the Savior. We're not the Lord. That is Jesus. But understand this. You and I have the same Word that he had. Just as he quoted from God's word, we can do the same thing as well. In Matthew 4, he was tempted. And what did Jesus do? He said this, it is written, it is written, it is written. When the enemy comes against you and tempts you, wanting to destroy your life, you can say to him, it is written, it is written, it is written. Make sure you have a deep knowledge of God's word. I pray you know the word of God better than you know stock symbols or sports scores. There are many of us today who can quote all these symbols, all these scores, but then we can't even quote the books of the Bible. And if we're going to be victorious in the Christian life and we're going to handle temptation God's way, please understand as kids, students, adults, you need a deep knowledge of the Word of God in your life. You can say to them, it's written is written, is written. Number three, a commitment to faithful Christian living. You need to live out God's word in your life. And if you're going to handle temptation God's way, a commitment to faithful Christian living is to say, God, I want to obey you and honor you in all areas of life. And so what that means is you don't see how close to the ledge you can get without going over. That's not faithful Christian living. Faithful Christian living is say, God, I don't know where the ledge is at, and I don't even want to get close to it because if I happen to trip, I'm not going to fall over the ledge. That's faithful Christian living. So students and young people, I'll encourage you, don't see how close to the ledge you can get so you don't go. Listen, live away from the ledge. Stay back here somewhere so that you can be faithful and you can be a faithful Christian living the Christian life before other people. And then number four, an inventory of healthy Christian relationships. If you're going to handle temptation God's way, you need godly people around you. That's why the church of the Lord Jesus Christ matters. That's why he has convicted me this year that many people who are on our church rolls who never come, we need a passion to go get them. Because there's something valuable about the people of God gathering together. You need the people of God in your life. That way you can look a brother or sister in Christ in the eye and say these words, I need help in the Christian life. That's what accountability is all about. Now, if I ask you today, again, you're a student, you're, you're a kid, you're, you're an adult. And if I ask you, whom can you look at in the eye and say to a brother or sister in Christ, you need help, who would you put in that blank to say, this is the person I would say? 
But if you're going to handle temptation God's way, and you're going to be victorious in the Christian life, you need a relationship to Christ, a deep knowledge of the Word of God, a commitment to live the Christian life, and you need godly relationships in your life. That's why His church matters. I appreciate those who worship with us online. Praise God that you do so. But I would say to you, if you can be in person, be in person in worship. Get connected to a connect group. Get involved in the Bible study class because you need the people of God in your life. Just like I need the people of God in my life as well. Why? Because I want to be victorious in the Christian life and that's even over temptation. Now look at this last part. What temptations do you and I face? Number one, cut short our time with the Father. When your schedule gets busy and your life gets out of, out of kilter and your, your pace is wide open, one of the first things that you'll be tempted to cut is your time with the Father. Church life, when finances get tight, what's the first thing they want to cut in church life? Well, let's cut mission giving out. That's a wrong response. I encourage you, when your life gets busy and your pace is out of control, do not cut your time with the Father. You need time with Him more than ever in your life. Make sure that's a priority in your life. Number two, compromise the seriousness of sin. We live in a day where our culture, our nation has shifted and drifted spiritually. There are things that we used to preach against now that are accepted and considered normal behavior. But let me say to you today, God still hates sin. And you and I should take sin seriously in the Christian life. Because sin is disobedience to God and we don't want to be disobedient to him. But you're going to have the consequence and you're going to face the temptation to compromise the seriousness of sin. It's just one time. Everybody's doing it. It's not really going to matter. Yes, it does. If it's sin in the eyes of God, it affects your relationship with him. It does matter. Number three, get ahead of God's leadership. Waiting on God is not easy, but waiting on God is wise. Don't get ahead of God's leadership in your personal life, in your career, even for us as a church. Stay in step with the leadership of God. You're going to be tempted to get ahead of the leadership of God. Don't do that in your life. Don't lag behind him. Stay in step with him. Don't get ahead of him. Stay in step with God because he loves you and he's got his absolute best for you. I mean, deal with that temptation to get ahead of God's leadership. Number four, live life without being spiritually sensitive. I've got a good word for you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says this, a word of challenge for one. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So be careful to say, I'd never commit that sin. And then Paul said this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Hallelujah, God's faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what your ability can bear. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Make sure you live with a spiritually sensitive heart. Why? Because when you're tempted, God is faithful. He's going to provide a way of escape for you. You don't have to say, I didn't have a choice. Yes, God's going to give you a choice. He'll give you a way of escape so you can walk away from it. Temptation is not a sin, but yielding to it is. Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. Number five, ignore seasons of spiritual disobedience. 
There are going to be times you're going to be tempted to ignore times of disobedience. But I encourage you, don't, don't fall for that temptation. If you're disobedient, confess that to God, repent of that, and turn back to God and get right with him again. The prodigal can come home, you can come home as well. Number six, decrease the Lord and increase self. And understand, when I wrote that sentence, I put a sentence out beside that for me. You will never decrease Jesus in your life. You can't decrease him. But the temptation is going to come your way is instead of serving Christ and building his kingdom, you make a name for yourself. That's called pride. Be careful about that temptation. I just challenge you, live out John chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase, I must decrease. That's the way to live life. But I'm just saying, you're going to face these temptations. You can be victorious. Why? You know Christ. You know the Word of God. You're living the Christian life. You've got godly people around you. You can live victorious in the Christian life because he's a good, good father, because he has given us his grace. Dr. Billy Graham, one of the great evangelists of our generation and history, Dr. Billy Graham saw that Many, many evangelists around him were falling into sexual sins. And Dr. Billy Graham and his team, Dr. Graham said, I don't ever want that to happen to me in my life, in ministry. And so what did Dr. Graham do? Dr. Graham said these words. He said, I'm never going to meet with, I'm never going to travel with, I'm never going to eat alone with a woman by myself other than my wife. I mean, there could be some other people around, but I'm not going to meet with, travel with, or eat alone with someone again of the opposite sex. Many people said that's very excessive that you would do that. Dr. Graham didn't stop there. He said, not only am I not going to do those things, I'm going to put a group of people around me who are going to keep me accountable, who are there to protect me so that I will always do the right thing. So I'm never going to be alone with a lady of the opposite sex. I'm never going to travel with somebody. I'm never going to have dinner with somebody. Always going to have other people around me. And again, you can say that's very excessive, but Dr. Graham, it protected him for almost a half a century of high-profile ministry. He was a wise man. What do you know? He knew how to handle temptation God's way. Same is true in your life and my life. Do you know how to handle temptation God's way? I encourage you, based on God's word today, yes, you do. Put it into practice. Be faithful to him. So I want to bow together this morning. And as we bow together today, the temptation of this moment is going to be you can give your life to Christ another day. You can be baptized some other time. You can join the fellowship of the church many, many months later. Or you can handle that on your own. Listen, you can't handle that temptation on your own. You need the help of God in your life. So I'm appealing to you right now because his grace is amazing. I just want to appeal to you. If you're here and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, don't let the enemy have any victory in your life today. Say yes to the Lord Jesus today. Walk down one of these aisles. Talk to one of us on our pastoral team. Let us help you know Jesus today. You need to go public in your relationship with him and be baptized. Make that decision today. Come forward today. You want to join the fellowship of this church? Come forward this morning. We'd love to celebrate with you. You need God's help in handling temptation because you're dealing with what the enemy is throwing at you? Come forward. Let us pray with you so that you can be victorious in the Christian life.
Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. Those who are watching online, you can do the same thing. You see an email address. You can respond to us. You can comment on whatever platform you're watching on. That you want to make a decision for Christ. You need to be baptized or you want to join the fellowship of a church or you just need help in the Christian life to overcome temptation and to handle that God's way. We want to minister to you as well. And we minister to you in Jesus' name because of his amazing grace. So our pastoral team is going to be here. Our prayer teams are going to be here. Online, you can respond to us. And we'd love to see you victorious in the Christian life today, being obedient to Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for grace, amazing grace, and saved a wretch like me. And Father, I thank you today that grace is still changing the lives of people. And so in this invitation, in this appeal for people to make decisions, Lord Jesus, we come to you. And I pray there would not be delay, procrastination, but there would be obedience, immediate obedience in this place, and we would follow your leadership. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.